morning. It's good to see each of you. It's good to be here. It's good to be back. I always enjoy the opportunity to come back and uh, visit with the congregation here and and renew old acquaintances. And it seems like every time I come back, there's there's someone here that was not here before, so it gives me the opportunity to uh, to meet some new faces as well. This has been a year of change for me, as you have come to to hear. Several years ago, I, I came and I spoke at, I think, in a gospel meeting, and at that particular time in my life, I was thinking a lot about a harlot. Do you remember that, several of you? And every time I come back, uh, some of you ask me, well, do you have your Harley yet? I don't have my Harley, but I've got a Levi now. That was one of the surprises of uh, 2006. Uh, we had a little boy born about two weeks ago this past Tuesday, and everything's going well. Paula had some back problems associated with that, and um, for that reason, as well as the fact that it's still a, a newborn relatively, uh, she was not able to, to come up and be here this weekend, I did bring my son, Micah, who is 10 years old, soon to be 11, and that's not Tennessee orange that he's wearing. Several have asked about that, but that's not a, that's not Tennessee. It's not Auburn either, but if it was going to be one or the other, it would be Auburn. What I have uh, decided to do in my lesson for this morning and Edwin did not request this, and I'm not sure if this is um, what he had in mind, but it's what I'm going to do. In your book, Edwin's book on the gospel of the kingdom, in the table of contents, I understand that we are in week three. And what I have done in this lesson on parenting is limited the scope of my lesson to Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, through Matthew chapter 5, verse 42. So what actually you're going to see is an application of each day's reading or each day's lesson, if I understand how this, this outline works. I'm going to, you're going to find an application of each one of those to the subject of parenting. And let me begin by saying that I think we all recognize that the Sermon on the Mount was not given to directly address the subject of parenting. There, there aren't that many passages of Scripture, in fact, that actually speak directly to the subject of parenting. One of the most direct is that found in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, where fathers are instructed to bring their children up in the nurture and the discipline or the instruction of the Lord. Well, one aspect of that certainly would be to develop a, a, a proper understanding of all the teachings of Christ, and then make application of those teachings within the home so as to carry out this direct commandment of Scripture to bring our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. There is a passage in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, and again, it's not given directly to the subject of parenting, but I think it, it, it sort of speaks of that in a very indirect and a very relevant way. When Jesus said in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. 
And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. When I read that passage as the head of a household, I think about my house. I think about my family. And I think about how important it is for me as the head of that household to train my children to follow the teaching of Scripture and to build my house on a solid foundation. And if I will do that, then I'm building something that's going to be sturdy and that will weather the winds of change and the winds of time. So again, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we understand it's not directly written in regards to the subject of parenting, but I think it has special relevance to that particular consideration. Parenting applications. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus addresses the subject of persecution. And Edwin titles that particular chapter of the book, The World Strikes Back. In Matthew 5 and verse 10, Jesus said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now what relevance does that have to parenting? If you do what you should do as a parent, if you raise your children to glorify and to honor God, then that approach to parenting inevitably, at some point in time, is going to bring you into conflict with the world. We do live in what could be characterized as a godless society, and it's becoming even more so every day. I appreciate the fact that, that there, are, there is so much, there, there's so much about us in regards to religion. There, there are many churches, and while we don't agree with the teaching of the various churches, we do live in somewhat of a, a religious society, but it's gradually turning in the opposite direction. And that concerns me, thinking about the responsibility that I have to raise my children and the world in which they someday will find themselves living in. I'm laying a foundation now that is preparing them for the future. But in laying that foundation, I can expect that both in my life as well as theirs, that there's going to be persecution. Not everyone's going to agree with the, the disposition that I have on the subject of discipline. The Bible is very clear that as a parent, I have a responsibility to discipline my children. I cannot practice permissive parenting. There may come a time when in the disciplining of our children, we find ourselves in direct conflict with the laws of the land. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to do what's right. And we're going to do it with the understanding and the expectation that in doing what is right, we may be persecuted. But what should be our response? Jesus said 
in verse 10. It is an acknowledgement that we are in a blessed state. We are experiencing a blessed position in being persecuted. It may be that those about us are going to cast insults at us because we tell our children they cannot go where their children go. We may find those speaking negatively about us behind our back or directly to our face when we tell them, my children will not participate in that activity because I don't believe it's right. I believe it is subjecting them to temptation. I believe it is a place where a child of God should not go. Well, when I experience those insults, what is to be my response? It's to be a response that is based upon doing what is right and an understanding that I am blessed when men cast insults at me and they persecute me and they say all kinds of evil against me on account of my commitment to Jesus Christ. I believe that parents can find true happiness in, in raising children God's way, knowing that God is pleased with that. Blessed are we. Blessed, happy, content are we in knowing that we are doing what is right. And we should be motivated we should be motivated based upon what Christ says in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. When I make decisions as a parent, I look beyond the immediate consequences. In fact, as a Christian, everything I do should be based upon a, a heavenward focus. I should always be thinking about what I do in light of its impact upon eternity. And Jesus said that if you do what is right, your reward in heaven is great. There will come a point in time when I will be able to look back at this little speck of time called my life, and I will see the persecution and the insults and the trials and the difficulties as seemingly insignificant in the overall scheme of things because I will be surrounded with the blessed glory of my God. But when parenting gets tough, that's when we need to think about that reward. We also need to consider that we put ourselves in good company. Jesus said in verse 12, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you do what's right and you suffer for it, you put yourself in good company. That's the point that Christ is making here. Second application that we see here from looking at the sermon is with regards to anger management. I got a letter a couple of weeks ago. It was an anonymous letter from one of the members at the church where I currently preach. And by the way, I am at a different church now. After about six or seven years, I guess it was, with the South Coleman Church, I'm now working with the Baldwin Church of Christ, which is a congregation of about 125 members. Um, I do that in addition to my regular secular type work. But I got a letter from one of the members. And... In this letter, it was an anonymous letter, I was asked to present a lesson on anger management. And it was written by someone who was concerned about a father in the congregation and the way that the father verbally abused his children, the way that he interacted with his wife, 
And the writer of this letter was concerned about that situation escalating to the point at which the children might possibly be driven away from the household. They were older, they were teenagers. I know that anger is an issue. There are very few relationships in life where the potential for anger is greater than in the parent-child relationship. That's true both in terms of the parent toward the child as well as the child toward the parent. The Apostle Paul instructed or admonished fathers in instructing them to bring up their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. He prefaced that in Ephesians 6 and verse 4 with these words, Do not provoke your children to anger. Now that's interesting. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and the discipline of the Lord. What that suggests to me, again, is the potential for anger in that relationship. It is easy as a parent to have higher expectations of your children than you do anyone else. And when they fail to live up to your unrealistic expectations, sometimes you become very angry about that. A parallel passage in the book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. God recognizes the potential for anger in this relationship. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, again, it's not a direct reference to the parent-child relationship, but look at what Jesus says. In verse 21, you have heard that the ancients were told, Matthew 5 and verse 21, you shall not commit a murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, brother Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now think about that level of anger. Do we ever see that in, in the family? Do we ever see that mother toward daughter, mother toward son, father toward daughter, daughter father toward son? And then Jesus goes on and he writes, or he says in verse 23, If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Well, let's insert there your son, or your daughter, or your father, or your mother. Leave your offering before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. What the Lord is calling us to do here in those situations where anger has gotten the best of us is to engage in the process of reconciliation. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. But there's no place for anger in raising children. And every one of you can recall a situation where as a parent, you probably said or did something you should not have said or done out of anger. And you thought about it, and maybe you went back and you apologized to your child later. You can't think rationally when you're angry. If you want to get the best of me, you make me angry. If, if you want to cause me to stumble, you make me angry. Because 
All logic, all reason goes out the door when I am mad. It's for that reason that when we find ourselves in a situation with our children where anger has gotten the best of us, we need to just get up. We just need to remove ourselves. We need to walk away from it. We need to go and we need to calm down and then come back later and deal with the issue. If anger has gotten the best of us, then the only option we have is reconciliation. Some of you may have older children in their 20s, in their 30s. Has there been a schism, a faction within your family? Do you, have it, do you find it difficult to interact with your children now or with your parents now without becoming angry? You need to practice what the Lord teaches here. You need to practice reconciliation. Did you realize that if there is an unresolved issue between you and either a member of your spiritual family or your physical family, and sometimes it's both, what the Lord suggests here is that that can impact the acceptability of your worship. Jesus said, leave your offering before the altar, first be reconciled, and then come and present your offering. That is a barrier between you and not just your family member, but it is a barrier between you and God. So as parents, we must learn to manage our anger. Morality in marriage. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27, beginning... Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it's better for you that one of the parts of your body perish that your whole body to go into hell. And it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of dismissal. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the cause of unchastity makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. A key objective of parenting is to prepare children for life. The proverb writer said it best in chapter 20 and verse 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Should I not now be teaching my children about the subject of marriage, divorce and remarriage? Should I not be instilling in my children from a very young age without getting into all the technical nuances of what the Bible teaches on that subject, should I not be teaching my children of the permanency of the marriage relationship? Have you ever gotten into a little squabble at home and your parents or your children hear it? You know what goes through their mind these days? You've got to remember, those, those kids are going to school every day. And in all likelihood, there is a child sitting to their right or to their left or in front of them or behind them whose parents are going through a divorce or who have been divorced. 
what your children are thinking is, are my parents next? I've had my kids say that to me because of the intensity of some of the conversations that my wife and I have had. Well, I need to be careful and I need to even use that unfortunate circumstance to instill within their minds, no. This is not going to lead to a divorce. This is a disagreement. But we are committed to this relationship called marriage. Divorce never enters our mind. We're going to work out whatever differences come into this relationship. We're going to work those things out. And I want you, my son, I want you, my daughter, to understand that your mom and your dad are going to stay together. What security that brings into their little lives. They're more concerned about mom and dad being together than about whether or not they have food on the table. They're they're more concerned about the quality of the relationship that exists between their parents than they are concerned about the clothes that they have on their back. That's their security. And as a parent, I need to take seriously what the Lord teaches here on this particular subject. The importance of maintaining purity in marriage is clearly emphasized in the instruction of Jesus. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It may be a work situation. It may be a relationship. It it may be whatever that is coming between you and your spouse. You need to get rid of it. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you need to quit your job to get yourself away from, from a temptation that exists at the office. If it's causing you to stumble, Jesus says, you need to get rid of it. Why? It's because of the sanctity of the marriage relationship. It's because of the importance of it. I'm dealing with a fellow right now who, he's not a Christian, but he's a work associate, and he's going through a situation where he's considering divorcing his wife. He may even have a right to do that. But I asked him to think about this. At the end of life, as you look back and you think about everything that's happened during the span of your life, don't you want to be able to look back and see how you worked with your wife to build the relationship in spite of its weaknesses, in spite of its deficiencies, and how you kept that together? Don't you want to look back and see that? rather than see that you just quit on the relationship. And that's what divorce is. You're just quitting. You're just giving up. And I can say that after 16 years of marriage. I know how hard it is to continue in a relationship with the same person day in, day out, and just just keep it growing and keep it going and keep it moving forward. That's not an easy thing to do. And yet, whatever I have to do to make that happen, I need to do it because of the impact that that's going to have upon my children. 
I need to model for them behavior that will someday enable them to have the kind of marriage God wants them to have. If, if my son sees me loving my wife as Christ loved the church, then someday he'll love his wife as Christ loved the church. If my daughter sees my wife in submission to me as the church is to Christ and respecting me, then someday she will respect her husband. What do we see in our homes? Is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching on morality and marriage, impacting us? Integrity matters, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. And by the way, I'm not going into this in a lot of detail. Uh, you've got this book to help you with that. I'm just making some practical application. Uh, but I say to you to make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor should you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, and what Jesus is basically stating here is, well, what he's doing is he's calling them to a higher level of integrity. Do not re rely upon the making of oaths to communicate your honesty. You lift yourself to a higher standard such that in verse 37, your statement is yes, yes, or no, no, and anything beyond these is of evil. People know, based upon your integrity, that you are going to keep your word. Numerous business scandals over the past few years have served to highlight the lack of integrity that exists in many corporate boardrooms. I serve on the board of directors for about five different companies now. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit Sometimes I get absolutely sick of business. I really do. I see people conniving. I see greed at work. I see envy at work. I, I, see, I see dishonesty. I have signed agreements and seen hundreds of thousands of dollars spent with the other party never intending to keep that agreement. That's frustrating. The first thing you want to do is call your lawyer. We're going to talk about that next. It's disgusting what you have to deal with in the world. I need to prepare my children for that. I need to let them know that to God, integrity matters. Integrity may not matter to anybody else. They may be someday involved in business situations where there is absolutely no integrity about them. And I'll tell you what the temptation is in that situation. It's, it's to be like everybody else. It's to cave in and to become like those about you. But a, a child of God can't do that. We, we, have to, we have to take a stand. We have to say that, that, that we're going to be different. I'm involved in a situation right now where... where I'm, I'm facing a lot of stress. And I know I'm going to be asked a question in a couple of weeks. And without going into the details, the question is going to be, what are you going to do? And I already know what my answer is going to be. My answer is, I'm going to do what's right. 
and then I'll let the cards fall where they may. I don't really care what happens to me as long as I maintain my integrity. And I am absolutely confident that if I maintain my integrity, regardless of what happens to me in my life in two weeks or two months or two years or 20 years, I'll land on my feet somewhere because I believe the Lord takes care of us in those situations. We have to commit ourselves to do what is right. I need to raise my children to be honest. They need to know that that in any given situation, the only thing that can be spoken is the truth. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to manipulate it. Don't try to make. Don't try to bend it a little bit to get yourself out of a difficult situation. Just tell the truth. If it makes you look bad, tell the truth. If it reveals a mistake that you've made, just tell the truth. You'd be amazed at how far that, that, that'll take you in life. And then finally, my personal space. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. I, I like Edwin's discussion on this particular section and his uh, hesitancy or fear of addressing the different issues that, that come out of this passage. I really believe that so much of what we have debated on this particular passage is unnecessary and simply reveals a misunderstanding of what Jesus was really seeking to teach his disciples. I'm not sure if this has just a whole lot to do with the war question anyway. In Matthew 5 and verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. I believe the key statement in all of this is verse 41. Whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. What Jesus is saying is, you be different. You go where no one else is willing to go. You do what is not expected. You sacrifice. You stop thinking of you. You stop thinking of your rights. You stop thinking of self. And you start looking at the world through the lens of God's eye, and you start considering what is best not for you, but for others. I don't have any personal space as a Christian. I don't. And you don't either. When you became a child of God, you gave up your personal space. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said in verse 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. You've given up your rights as a Christian. You've given up your space 
as a child of God. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus said, and what is most likely a parallel account, in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and then children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. And what was the cross of Jesus? Was it about his rights? What did Jesus have the right to do? From a worldly perspective, he had the right to call down angels from heaven and destroy all of his enemies. There was absolutely nothing right or fair or just about the trial of Jesus Christ. There was no justice in it whatsoever. And yet, how did he respond? He responded based on what was right in the eyes of God. It wasn't his rights. It was what was right that Jesus was concerned about. When I find myself in a situation where my rights are being violated, I should not react. I should respond based upon principle. The older I get, the more I realize that in situations that I find myself in, and I I get back to business again, I can't react based on what others do and be right. That always leads me down the wrong path. I have to respond based upon principle. I have to ask myself the question again, what is right? And revenge is never right. Retaliation is never right. And again, I don't believe this has anything to do with going to war. If somebody comes up to me and starts slapping me around, I'm going to defend myself. If you're wondering how far I'm taking this, if if someone starts abusing my my wife and my children, I'm going to defend them. If I have to defend my country, I will do what I have to do to to defend my country. I don't believe that's what Jesus is talking about here. I think he's talking about these personal matters where our space is violated. And when it comes to a personal matter, a one-on-one situation, a business issue, I don't have any space. All I have is the right to do the will of God. And that's what I need to teach my children. That's what my children need to see in me. And you know what? Sometimes that means they're going to see Dad taking advantage of. Sometimes they're going to see Dad defrauded. He's not going to win in every situation. Sometimes he's going to lose. But that's just part of doing what's right. In the overall scheme of things, again, I don't really care. As long as I go to heaven. You can you can sue me, you can take my shirt, you can take my business, you can take everything that I own. I don't care. You can't take my soul. You can't take my integrity. You can't take my relationship with God. And again, and I'm saying this because I want you to have this same confidence. And someday if something happens to me, I want you to tell me and remind me of what I said. You're going to land on your feet somewhere. 
I've never seen the righteous begging bread. God's going to take care of you. Those are the parenting applications of the sermon. Read the entire sermon. Study the entire sermon as parents. Study the entire, entire Bible as parents. And as you go through, ask yourself the question, what application can I make of what the Lord is teaching in this sermon to my parenting, to my role and responsibility as a parent?